0: Slash Awards only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio, sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time! So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you.
1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience.
2: Welcome to episode 257 with my guest Danny Fernandez. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck website for this show is mentalpod.com there's all kinds of stuff you can do there um, you can go there to support the show you can join the forum you can fill out surveys that might get read on the air you can um, read blogs and guest blogs there's uh, you can buy t-shirts coffee mugs that have the Mental illness happy hour logo on it um, I think that's about it oh and if you're looking for a particular topic um, Type it in in our website's search box, and uh any episodes or blogs about that topic uh should come up um did I want to, there was something I wanted to share. I can't remember what it was, but anyway um. I'm going to read a couple of these uh, struggle-in-a-sentence surveys. This was filled out by Sarah, and she writes about her OCD. I think out conversations that I will never have. I do this repeatedly, complete with imagining my facial expressions. I laughed so hard when I read this because I do the exact same thing. And just last night as I was f- trying to fall asleep, uh, one of the things that i look forward to um one of the few things i look forward to around the holidays two things uh three things i look forward to one seeing how happy it makes my wife two getting to watch uh, all the free movie screeners. Uh, We get sent uh, DVDs because she's in the Writers Guild, and so I get to see a lot of the movies that are in the theaters uh, on DVD, and I love, love doing that. And my third favorite thing is the pies, the fruit pies that we get on Christmas Eve. And as I was laying down to sleep, of course, because I'm four years old, I was dreaming of pie, and then I started thinking about the year that we got these. They call them hand pies, which are like almost like the little Hostess ones that that, uh, that they used to have. I think they might even still have them. And I was so excited because uh, just thought of my own little personal pie it was was too much for my brain to take. And they arrived, and I bit into one, and they just it didn't have the right uh ratio of filling to crust. There there was like hardly any filling in it. And I was just so uh I was so let down. And as I was going to sleep last night thinking about that, I imagined myself in that restaurant biting into one of their pies again and and I could feel, in imagining this, I could feel the anger coming up that somebody would fuck up the ratio of filling to crust that badly. And I, I was imagining what I could say to them that would get across my anger, but wouldn't get me arrested. <laughs> and so I was imagining myself biting into the pie and telling them, "What? Are, how, how do you have a, a license baked bake goods, how do you? Who in the world would want this ratio of filling to pie crust? And then I imagine them telling me that if I didn't like it, uh, that I could leave. And then I imagine myself taking the pie in my palm and just turning my palms over and throwing the pie under uh, the ground and walking out. What the fuck is that? <laughs> that was unnecessarily long to make that point, but who gets who gets upset in the fantasy world about pie? This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Fatty Bo Batty. And uh about her food addiction and binging, she writes, eating until I'm so full I can't focus on how empty I feel. That's a pretty profound one. That is uh, that is profound. Thank you for that. And then this one is from uh, Sally to Tally. And about her depression, she writes, being the prison officer and the inmate at the same time.
0: My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame.
2: You have boundary issues.
0: I feel guilty for hating my mom.
1: I will be
2: high by 4 p.m.
0: You feel helpless.
2: I will be in hell by 4.15.
0: Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying.
1: I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. didn't move for six hours.
0: I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation.
1: And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good
0: Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just I surrender I think I was 28, and that was the first time I ever experienced that, and it was amazing.
2: I'm here with Danny Fernandez, uh, who is a stand-up comedian, an actor, uh, a writer, a tweeter, dog owner, dog owner, (laughs) a lover, a fighter, and what am I missing?
1: Um, I have an autoimmune disorder disorder, Hashimoto's. Yeah, Hashimoto's. Um. What else? Yeah, I think you covered everything. I'm an avid nerd, like obsessed with nerd culture. Like what? Uh, Dragon Ball Z is what, it's an anime that I've, become way too obsessed with in an unhealthy way, I feel like. But also I've gotten to do a lot of stuff with them at Comic-Con and Star Wars. So.
2: And how many episodes are there? Uh, oh,
1: God. Oh, wow. I guess I'm not like a true fan if I can't name like. Well, how I mean, many.
2: dozens, hundreds? Oh, hundreds. Okay,
1: Hundreds. It's like there's three series uh, okay. of it, so it spanned decades and now they're coming out with new episodes. Uh, so I'm really excited. So that's like
2: Christmas for you when a new episode like comes out. It is like Christmas, yeah, except yeah. for they get new
1: episodes in Japan and then when when we get it it's i don't know it's it's not the we have to like stream it illegally or something like that so until they dub it uh but anyways yeah that's my well that my helps nerd. your nerd cred though it does doesn't you know? it especially yeah. if
2: you you know use some type of uh, compiler or something to <laughs> to put it all together what's the what's the thing a, bit-torrent. If yeah, you're using a bit
1: bi- torn Bit. <laughs> and if i'm getting it with like bitcoin or something
2: yeah uh, what are give us some broad strokes of uh your story your issues anythings uh anything that you've been aside from the Hashimoto's any anything that you've um been through in your life that is uh difficult traumatic sure yeah with your head
1: the first thing that's just I'm just gonna go what comes to mind is my parents divorce uh, they divorced when I was in college and it was really ugly and it came out that I had a half sister who is the exact same age as me who I had no idea about so I had always been the only girl in my family I grew up with brothers um to find out how many brothers i have two okay. um but we're a mexican family so it just feels like there's like four there's always kids running about in sure. our house so i say i grew up with brothers i grew up with like a large family to some extent but i was always the only girl and that was kind of my identity um i'm the middle child and it i never got along with my dad ever um he is actually had a therapist tell him that he was narcissistic um and he was very uh i don't know he just wasn't a, I remember one one thing that stuck out in my head was um growing up i remember i was really little and i got my hair cut and he told me that it made my face look fatter not fat fatter <laughs> fatter okay <laughs> granted i'm a young girl growing up and you know today and uh, at the time I was in orange county which is brutal by the way yeah and- um, by the way
2: would your fat face like a water
1: oh no i'm okay <laughs> my fat face my face is fat right now cuz i'm having a flare it up it is
2: the furthest thing from oh from well thank fat. you
1: but it's it, it's puffy um from my having a flare up right now i feel like my whole body is swollen but anyways so i had this i've never got along with my dad believe it or not when i was in 4th grade i told my mom to divorce him and now <laughs> i'm in therapy looking back at that at the time, I felt horrible telling her that, but now I'm like, oh well, you know, kids pick up on things. I think I realized, hey, as I got older, I'm like, you're you're not like other dads. You're not how dads should be. When now, did
2: when did that first uh, dawn on you?
1: I I'm sure when I was in fourth grade, I would go and hang out with my friends. I'm like, oh wow, they actually have good relationships with their dad, and mine is really weird and. He drinks a lot, and I remember one time I found a photo of him and one of his uh, female coworker, like sitting in his lap, and it was like stashed away in his car. And I don't know, it was just a lot of a lot of weird things like that. So, anyways, when I was in college, my parents—they had been together for twenty-five years—they split, um, and it was it was huge. And then it came out that I had a half sister that he knew about, and that my mom actually knew about as well, and hid it.
2: And was the uh, mother of that child uh, married, single?
1: Uh, I think she's single. I okay. think she's single. Um, she, I believe, was in Illinois. Was it um, a
2: one-time thing or an it was, ongoing I relationship? I think it was an
1: ongoing thing. Um, it, it was an ongoing thing, and it turned out that he got her pregnant the same time my mom was he was married to my mom. He already had my older brother, and then he had me, um, and and this other girl. And so they came back with a paternity test and sued him basically because he didn't want to pay child support,
2: which is shocking for your dad because right. you would have you oh, thought yeah. he's going to do the right <laughs> thing right out of the gate. Yes,
1: of course. Which also didn't make sense. This is another thing. Looking back, like when you mm-hmm. look back at your childhood, and you start realizing, like piecing puzzles together. Like there were times when we really struggled with money. And my brother, he's an actuary now. Um, he studied mathematics and actuarial science. And I think one time he went over our taxes, like when he was in college, and he said, something doesn't add up here. And I remember once I also saw another name on our insurance cards. And I'm like, this... So Yeah, something isn't adding up here. So anyways, it it turned out that there's a... But there's another girl out there who kind of looks like me. She has half my genes. She's the same age as me. Like... Have you met her? I haven't met her. You must be dying to meet her. I'm not to some extent because, one, she's closer with my dad. So I equate anything with my... Well, I mean, eventually he, you know, he was paying for her throughout these years. So she only saw... Uh, to me, the best parts of my dad. So she saw him maybe oh, like a couple Oh, the weekend guy bringing a gift. Yes, exactly. And he kind of used it. During the divorce, he would say stuff like, my other daughter would never speak to me this way. Oh, my
2: God. And was he di- diagnosed with narcissistic n- yes. personality? Because yes, there's a difference was. between saying, you know, he's... he's he was per-
1: diagnosed by a therapist. We actually That's had a family... That's pretty serious. Yes, we had a family therapist Um, and... And I've I feel like I've been on in and out of therapy um for a while now. It it seems like for at least half my life. And how old are you? I'm twenty seven. Okay. I'm twenty seven. I'm in therapy now. Just started. I haven't been in like three years and I was like, I really need to go. Um and anyway, so my yeah, so I feel like she only saw the best parts of him and she didn't live with him every day. When you live with him every day, my brothers and I saw the side of him that would, he he was a type of, he reminded me almost of Tony Soprano, was super alpha. He would throw like a laptop against the wall and there'd be marks from him slamming the doors open, like things like that. He never touched us. He never hit us. But I would say that those outward signs of violence that's were abusive. just as bad. Yeah, were abusive. It's
2: still a lack of safety.
1: Right, right. And verbally abusive. So that's probably one of the biggest things that happened... In my life, um, when you ask that about, about things that have happened to me. Um, another is I'm actually divorced. I don't know if you knew this. But I, I was not. Yeah, I, I got married. I dated someone for six years, um, which I feel like is a good amount of time to, mm-hmm. to know them. Um, I got married when I was 24. So we started dating when I was 18. We dated all throughout college. I was very much in love. And then... We moved to Colorado, which I wouldn't always recommend, like, because we moved away from everyone, and we moved up to the mountains, which I thought was going to be great, but then you're alone with this person 24-7. <laughs> we're in
2: Colorado. We
1: were in Castle Rock, which is actually even higher up than Denver, so it's really sick. We didn't have any kids, like, it just was us in this house, and I realized, oh, We actually have nothing in common. (laughs) What we had in common was going to parties together in college, and we were a great party couple. But, and a lot of people, like, they'll ask me, how did you not know? And I was like, I just didn't. We were at, we were at events with people. We were with our friends or our family. Did you
2: live with him before you got married?
1: Yeah. There were some red flags. One, his mom hated me. Um, so, there was that. He also believed. He a mama's boy. He was, yeah. yeah. Which I'm not entirely against. I think that good, kind good of,
2: luck finding intimacy with a mama's boy. That's of.
1: true. Yeah, yeah. You sound like you've you've seen that before.
2: <laughs> I've lived <laughs> it. People,
1: you've lived. It. I've lived okay. it.
2: I am. I was. I'm a reformed uh mama's, mama's boy. boy.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just it's so hard when there's like one woman and you're. Household. And I heard it, somebody's
2: therapist say one time, um, before you marry your wife, you need to divorce your mom.
1: That is so true. I love that. But that some is people so don't true. know
2: they're married to their parent. They don't know that they're emotionally taking care of their parent and that they're enmeshed. It's because it's your normal. So you don't you don't. Yeah. That.
1: And here I am with like a fucked up problem with my parents. And it's like, I can't believe someone is. Yeah. Kind and, of this.
2: And my guess would be, too, that there was something. Mildly attractive about this guy who was emotionally unavailable f- for you Possibly, be- because yeah. your, because your dad was or at least. Oh, that's, totally. that's kind of the classic thing. I'm not saying that's the case with you. But if you're like statistically <laughs> how people are that grow up with yeah. a, a super narcissistic parent where it's all about them and they're not emotionally available for the kid, they're going to find somebody who's similar to that person in a way a- a- as a way to try to recreate what happened, but this time control it.
1: That's so, yeah, I feel like that's 100% me. I also have a history of dating, guy, like the guy I'm dating now is eight years older than me and has his life together. So I feel like it's, I was lacking a dad, still lacking a dad, and find these dad figures. I joke a lot on my Twitter about like getting adopted or something, but, um, do you, yeah.
2: Do you ever feel like, um, I hope this doesn't sound too dramatic, but that you want to be rescued.
1: Oh sure, yeah.
2: Talk about that. Yeah,
1: I mean it. It it it's nice to it's nice to feel loved for one, hmm. and and yeah, I just I feel like my life is a mess after my divorce. I also got really sick. I came down with my autoimmune disorder, which just completely ruined my life and my finances. By the way, I feel like a lot of people that have autoimmune disorders, it's just one misdiagnosis sometimes after another and a lot of times um autoimmune disorders are misdiagnosed uh, misdiagnosed depression i actually talked to the president of the autoimmune uh, association for quite a while about that about how there's just like this misdiagnosis so anyways i feel like my life kind of crumbled and it's it's nice it must be
2: overwhelming all the it's things it's so
1: overwhelming i felt like i was a friend that always had something wrong with me that i was always complaining And I felt like I eventually turned into like the girl with problems or the girl. Like, you know, I felt like my friends kind of stopped reaching out.
2: Have you ever gotten suicidal?
1: Yes. Yeah, completely. I actually. Yeah, I actually um, overdosed on sleeping pills. Intentionally. Intentionally. During my separation to an eventual divorce. Um, It was in the spring or fall. It was in the spring of 2013, um, my husband and I had decided that we were officially going to separate and start the paperwork t- towards a divorce. And for me at the time, I just, that was my life. Like that was my identity was with him. The last six years I was with him. And I was the one actually that kind of initiated the divorce, but it just, the idea that he was also okay with it. That he had moved on That he was like Yeah let's do this And I'm like Oh fuck You really don't care about <laughs> You're supposed me. to
2: fight You're yeah, supposed to yeah. fight for me Oh
1: fuck You really You also want this too And at the time um, I was losing my hair I was going through All my autoimmune stuff But yet Didn't know I didn't have a diagnosis yet Oh you
2: must have
1: So I just My life was falling apart And I was And it's another thing Is like When you have an autoimmune disorder A lot of it's linked to like Inflammation throughout your body And your joints And your tissue And, and mine's my thyroid tissue But my antibodies Eat away at my thyroid and did you that, just think
2: it was a flu you, you couldn't shake or something?
1: I, I don't know. I, when, I was also exhausted. And I remember in Glenn's episode with you, he talked Glenn, about Glenn how. Glenn Rockowitz. Yes. He talked about how tired he was and and, and it's, it's just you know you don't want to just blanket it with everyone that's tired obviously especially in our line of work and a lot of other people's line of work you're exhausted I'm sure parents of newborns are exhausted this is a different type of tired this is a type of tired where even after I would sleep the entire weekend I would be beyond exhausted the way that I like to tell people of kind of equate it to what it feels like is if you wake up first thing when you wake up if you were to take two shots of NyQuil and then try to go about your day. Like, that's what it feels like. Take three Benadryl, the drowsy kind, and then try and function. It
2: must have been... You
1: can't. You live in like a... It's like a fog. You're living yeah. in a haze. And so I had no idea what was going on. My depression was at an all-time high. My my marriage was ending to someone that, again, we had just had this gorgeous wedding. We bought a house in Colorado. And I was now a failure. My parents' divorce had just happened like a year or so before. And... I, I thought, yeah, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be alive anymore. And I rationalized it in my head. I, I took sleeping pills. I remember I took, I took like a handful. I had a, I had a whole bottle of sleeping pills and I was home alone with my dogs and I took, I took about a handful and then I laid down with my dog, Molly, and I kind of just held her. And then I, I didn't feel like they were kicking in enough. And I was like, fuck it. I just, I, I just want to do this. And so I took the rest of the bottle I don't know how much I ended up taking. I do remember suddenly they started kicking in and I went through a massive panic attack. And I tried to stick my fingers down my throat and make myself throw up and I couldn't. And I couldn't get, and I hadn't had that problem before. And I, no matter what I did, you I, couldn't, could, throw or you I could. couldn't throw up. I couldn't throw up. I could not throw up. And then I knew, oh shit. You just did this. You, you're you about to die. You're about to fucking die. And I remember calling my husband was at a party. Um, we had gotten in a fight earlier, and I think he went off to a bar with his friends. And I remember, oh, shit, I'm, I'm about to die alone. I remember being over the toilet. I remember just feeling that that feeling of about The feeling that happens when you're about to die alone, and I'm sure some people listening might be able to relate to this, is enough that I haven't done that again. It is the scariest fucking thing probably that I've ever been through. And um, what happened was I finally got a hold of my husband and I just called him crying and apologizing, telling him I'm probably about to die. And he called 911. I was begging him not to. And in my head, I don't know why I... I didn't want to call 911. I was like, that, that's going to ruin my life. They're going to put me away. And if I live through this, it's it might be worse. Anyways, the Castle Rock Fire Department came and they rescued me and they put me in their ambulance. I remember I didn't have shoes on because I remember when I left the hospital, I didn't have shoes on. So I'm walking out barefoot in my gym shorts. Um, I remember waking up. In the hospital. Did you get a
2: selfie of yourself? Did I get a Barefoot selfie? Outside I actually, the
1: I didn't get any, I didn't have like my phone on me. Who knows? I was so I naked. Think, I
2: think that, that that's uh, an opportunity to do a duck lip selfie. If there ever is <laughs> one.
1: Here. I just overdosed. Yeah. Um, which is so weird. Like, I felt the the most vulnerable is without my phone. Like, that's probably the one thing. I was like, I'm so naked. I don't have my phone. Um, I also didn't want to talk to anyone. I remember waking up. I remember seeing my husband there um, in the emergency room with me or in my bed or whatever in the room.
2: Did that feel comforting?
1: It was, yeah. I just remember the look on his face. And it was like, I can't, I can't believe this. Like, I, I could tell that he loved me. Like as a person, like he didn't want to lose me as a person. And we still have a good relationship. Like I still talk to him, mainly because we're still on each. We have some loans in each other's names <laughs> that we still have to pay. We're still in our 20s. So those loans are eventually getting paid off. But we're still civil and cordial to each other. He's moved on. He's married. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing him there. And he was like, we need to get you help. And he called both my parents, actually called my mom and my dad. And he said, she's really, he had, he had to tell them I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. He had to tell them that I overdosed. And I remember my mom, like I, and my dad, actually, they both said I would never be ashamed of her. Like, and they sent me to Texas, which is where, um, I had some family there and I stayed there like all summer and went into therapy and, and yeah, so that was another huge moment in my life was I did overdose Wow, yeah, yeah, I've had a lot happen in 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 my twenties um and i I still have at times I've had suicidal thoughts, which is why I'm back in therapy now, um mainly because of my autoimmune stuff um believe it or not, Hashimoto's and depression pretty much go hand in hand. I've even had several of my endocrinologists tell me that it just as feels like a never ending cycle. Autoimmune disorders are largely cyclical, which means that you'll go through periods of time where you feel great and you feel like, oh shit, I put this in remission. I did it. People said I wouldn't do it, but I did it. I lowered my antibodies. This is great. Look at my hair's growing back in. I look amazing. I have energy. And then life has a way of just sideswiping you. And all of a sudden, you're back in the brain fog. You're back in the, you know, joint pains and, and flare ups and, um, Memory it so- loss. It
2: sounds like depression, you know. Cause oh, I always exactly. Say, I always say depression is. It feels like uh, a stalker that you get away from. You've yeah. moved, and then all of a sudden there's a knock on your door. Did you really think I wouldn't find you?
1: Yeah. Isn't I know everything crazy? about you. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, and it just seems... I remember listening to an episode where you said that, and I, I feel like it's a, a dark cloud that's just, like, waiting. I don't know. Have, did you ever watch It Follows? Have you seen Mm-mm. that? Okay. It's it's really great um, from a cinematography standpoint. It's it's a scary movie. It just came out last year, um, which was great. They shot it in, like, an old, kind of, like, 1970s scary movie feel. But the whole... It, the... um villain is basically just like the spirit that follows you, but it can only walk. So you think you're okay. Like you get away from it, right? You move, you move to a different country. And then all of a sudden it just is after a couple of years, it just shows up. You kind of forgot about it and you oh felt my safe. God. So anyways, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel I'm still in the thick of it. It's still raw. I'm still in the thick of it. And, and I have, but for me, at least I know that It's temporary to some extent. So when I have these suicidal episodes or even flare-ups or anything like that, I try to just hold on because I know that eventually it passes. Sometimes it takes longer than other times, but eventually it always passes. Do
2: you feel like that knowledge is the best tool in your arsenal? I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because in that moment, I, for me, whenever I think of harming myself, I feel like, especially having... You know, not just depression, but having this autoimmune disorder and having this like background with my health issues, I feel like sometimes I'd be justified, and that's really scary because sometimes when I think about taking my life, I think that my friends would be like, "You know, uh, well, we get it." like she was hurting, she was suffering she she did everything she could to try and get better. She's in therapy, and it just nothing was helping. so I, I felt like I would be justified in doing it. But a part of me gets really bitter really angry and bitter that this is taking my life from me and no, you're not going to take my life from me. I'm going to keep getting up and actually I'm going to be successful, you know, without you. So
2: have you, um, and by the way, I very much relate to the feeling of um, my body being my enemy. It's been that way for a a large part of my life. Talk, talk about, About that, that the adversarial nature of when it's your own body.
1: When when it's your own body that's betraying you, you know? And my body is, and well, all of our bodies are what gets us work, you know? And it's like, I can't do stand up as much anymore. And I can't write. And I had to get new headshots. And that sounds really trivial and very vain and very LA. But it's like 500 bucks for these things. It's like my hair is falling out. My face is now swollen. And I've done acupuncture. I follow a very strict autoimmune uh, diet. And I just I feel like everything I don't know, it's my own body is attacking itself. And it just. I feel I told my friend the other day that I feel like my body outsmarts me, that it's always a couple of steps ahead of me, no matter how m- and the amount of money I spend on this thing. It's like if you think about it with like therapy, like how much time and effort and and energy and money have you lost over this And other people are out and they're at concerts and they're spending it on God knows what. And here we are spending it on ourselves and our, and our brains.
2: And sometimes you, no matter how much you spend, you still feel like shit.
1: Yeah, you still feel like shit. It's the same thing about like when I feel like I'm in a relationship and no matter how much the boy tells me that I'm beautiful, it doesn't matter. If I don't think I'm beautiful, I don't give a shit about his opinion or anyone else's because that's how I feel about myself, you know? And, I don't know. I, I enjoy therapy. I think therapy is necessary, but I feel like it's not enough sometimes.
2: If you could, this is going to sound really cheesy, but um if you could talk to your body as if it were a person, what would you say to it?
1: <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same team. What the hell is the matter with you? Um, I don't know. I would just, what do you want from me? You know, I'm doing everything for you. I go to yoga, like I slow down my workouts, I I replenish it plenty, and I don't know. A part of me, the reason, another reason I'm in therapy right now is because I'm so damn bitter. I am bitter
2: about your condition. I'm,
1: I am. I really am. I see, and this is something that I really I've read uh, Glenn Rockowitz's book *Rodeo and Juliet*, and there's something one it just it really relates to human suffering and that i think there's a scene where he gets in the elevator with people and they're laughing and they're having a good time and he's like this should be you and that's how i feel especially living in hollywood i'm like why is this happening to me and not other people like I consider myself a relatively good person. The bad thoughts I have are about myself. They're not about other people. There are bad people out there. Why are they, why do they get to enjoy their life? Why do they get to have a good, you know, why am I suffering so much? And I do get really bitter. I started unfollowing people. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm childish. I started unfollowing people on Instagram because I couldn't bear to see them happy and healthy what i'm suffering so much thank you
2: so much for sharing that (laughs) you know that's that's the kind of shit that i love uh hearing because i think we all have a part of us that is competitive with people's other people's lives because Mm -hmm. i don't know i guess that's the natural way for us to measure how we're how we're doing yeah totally
1: Um, I constantly compare myself to other people, but and I and I realize though that if people were to look at my life and were to look at my Facebook and my Instagram, it looks like I'm just living a party. I'm at conventions, I'm doing shows and stuff, but they don't see internally what I'm going through. And I realize that now that we all just look at everyone's highlights, you know, on on their Facebook. And so what I started to do was I started posting my hair loss. I stopped covering up with all the products and the trust me, girls, we have products for everything. I was losing my eyebrows and I, I have I remember somebody wrote me once and it was never change your eyebrows. They're so gorgeous and Latin and lush. And I want to be like it takes me 30 minutes to color these in like this is not real at oh all. God. Yeah, Um, which isn't is normal. I feel like a lot of my friends color in their eyebrows and stuff.
2: No, but I was just thinking 30 30, 30 minutes, minutes to, to get the them eyebrows. perfect.
1: Not the oh ones you're God. looking at right now, but definitely ones in photos. And I also have like hair products where I'd cover up kind of like the bald spots from losing hair and um, contouring my face to hide like weight gain and swelling. And I stopped doing that. And I started posting my hair loss and showing people. And a part of me was really was still bitter about it that I felt like I needed to share that. That like, or else people wouldn't really think that anything was wrong or that I wouldn't, you know, I came forward. I wrote a couple of articles about being sick.
2: I just want to interrupt you for one second to promote a friend's uh, website. Uh, She started a thing called 30 Days No Makeup. Mm. And uh, 30daysnomakeup.com, I think, is the website. (laughs) So brave. Because she forgot her makeup one day and was kind of... uh, really upset at how upset she was about not having her oh, makeup yeah. and realized how tied into that image of herself she was and so she she started this
1: But um, did people treat her differently? Um, I get treated differently depending on how I look. For sure.
2: You know, I, that doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. Like if I go into Nordstrom's with without makeup on, no one gives a shit about me. If I go in with makeup on, all of a sudden, hey, this, you know, this girl looks like she might spend some money in here. Um, definitely for, I don't know. I, I get, oh, are you sick or you look tired? I know other women listening to this have gotten that when they don't wear makeup. Are you sick? Um, yeah. So anyways.
2: So you were starting to, uh, to say something before. Oh yeah. No, I just,
1: I decided to start posting when I had a flare up and what it looked like and, Um, I did come forward. I actually got dropped. So right in the height of me testing for my autoimmune disorder, I turned 26 and I got dropped from my parents' insurance and I could not no longer afford treatment. And I ended up doing a fundraiser and kind of like a GoFundMe on a different site to raise money so I could continue to get treatment. And it brought out... A lot of great people. It also brought out a lot of shitty people on the internet. How so? Well, it was people just like accusing me of using it to get money. And here I was, and I needed treatment. I actually, they had, they, I had to do an MRI because they wanted to make sure I didn't have a pituitary tumor, which after insurance was $400, Mm -hmm. by the way, which I just, I really want to make a point and really drive this home. The amount of medical GoFundMes that are out there right now, that says more about our healthcare system than it does the person asking for money. It really does. And- A lot of people were just like, oh, Hashimoto's is easily treatable, which one they were testing for others. I also had to get tested for lupus because I had lupus markers. Um, My heart rate had dropped until the 30s. And so, yes, yes. I actually had to get a cardiologist and do a round of like two weeks worth of tests at Scripps in San Diego. Um, and I had the best cardiologist. He invented the coronary stent. I'm like, holy shit, I study I I don't know, I didn't tell you, but I was in cardiac rehab. I used to work, I was a physiologist in cardiac rehab at Baylor Heart Hospital. That was back when I was married. Um, I had a whole life before this. So I knew my shit. I know medical stuff and I knew my shit. And to have people calling me out and saying that I was just kind of wanting money and way to capitalize on the internet or something like that was one of the notes How that I got
2: fucking angry. Did that? Make? Yeah,
1: I was, well, I just, I told my mom, I remember crying and bawling to her. Like, I have to take this down. I I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, no, you need, you need help. Like I couldn't, she couldn't afford, she, you know, and this is separate but in her divorce like she she left she walked away from everything my dad got everything she just didn't want to deal with it she didn't want to be in court with him and stuff so anyways we're both poor we're both very poor women um and So, yeah, so I had to do a medical fundraiser and um, it paid for a lot. God, that was when Glenn reached out to me when he first reached out to me. Mm. He saw that and was like, holy shit, because I wrote I included photos. I showed like swelling in my face. I was like, what the hell is going on with me? I don't test positive for any um, any food allergies, but my face is swelling up now. Come to know that's moon face and it's not uncommon. Um, I
2: loved his first three albums moon phase Moon phase. his techno phase how he really lost me but his folk stuff was really moving
1: but anyways what i was gonna say is that my, my heart rate was in the 30s and nobody all these by the way we have like a billion different doctors that specialize in different things which is like our western medicine it's like you have something your heart rate's low go to a cardiologist your thyroid is fucked up go to an endocrinologist no no one really agreed on my treatment no one could figure out what was wrong with me.
2: That must have been so overwhelming. It and was. then you throw depression into it. And one of the hallmarks of depression is difficulty making decisions. Yeah. So why not w- lay in bed and think about dying?
1: Well, and also just like, why am I doing this? Like, if this is a forever type of thing, you know, and lupus is like a forever type of thing, then why... Why go through it? You know, why wake up and deal with this? And I just for me But you eventually
2: found out it wasn't lupus. It was Hashimoto's. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I have I had lupus markers, but I never tested positive for lupus. Um and in fact my Hashimoto's was causing everything. It was causing my heart rate to be so low. A lot of some of my friends would be like, Oh, thirties, is that really low? I'm like, Well, it's thirty away from dead. (laughs) They had, it's 30 away from dead. I had a halter monitor I had to wear for two weeks and they saw that it would, it would drop drastically when I slept and like 30,
2: 30 is frightening. Like when I used to run a lot, I was getting an operation and I think my heart rate was like in the fifties and, and they were a little concerned. They said, do you, do you exercise a lot? And I said, yes, I do. They said, okay. Um, because if you didn't, this would be something to be concerned about.
1: That I'm not lying to you. I had to go to uh, um, Cedar cyanide. I got really sick. I had a really bad flare up. I was throwing up, and I had to go to Cedar Sinai. I was in so much pain, and it was in the 30s. And they were like, "Does your doctor know this?" I was like, "Yeah," but he said I was just—I'm a young woman, and 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 it's—you know—my heart rate is just low. But that was what I got a lot of. I feel like a lot of times people with autoimmune disorders, they, ju- they just kind of get brushed under the rug. Like every they're subclinical, but not enough for-, for doctors to really take them seriously. And being a young woman and not looking sick was probably the biggest thing going against me is that doctors just didn't really take me that seriously when they have someone that's obese and dying over here. And here I come in, you know, and I don't really look sick.
2: Talk about what you think and feel when you're sitting in the waiting room of a new doctor and you're filling out those forms oh
1: god one do they even pay attention to them because they ask you those same questions i know you know what i'm talking about when you go into when you go into the doctor's office they ask you those questions again i'm like did you not read the 30 forms you had me fill out um i have so much anxiety i have anxiety at all times and My depression, I feel like, has moved to anxiety, and I don't know if I'm okay with it. I'm a little bit more awake, I feel like, but it's just constant. Being in the waiting room causes me anxiety. Thinking about being in the waiting room causes me anxiety. Going anywhere, I feel like, does.
2: I don't know about you, but I get so resentful. That I have to keep filling this oh, fucking same, yeah. 10 page form over and over again. And there's never enough room to put all this shit <laughs> that you need to put in there. So I, a lot of times I won't put anything in there because I'm like, fuck it. You don't read it anyways. You don't. Yeah. But, but they'll uh, name every surgery you've had. I, you know, I've had 12 fucking surgeries right. and I, and I've had this and that and this and that. And it is just, it's so, it's just another thing that I think people who don't have, uh, health issues, don't realize how big the pot of shit that you have to deal with. Now the stuff that I've been through is nothing compared to, to what think you're it, going through. I think through. it
1: kind of. I think it is though. I think I've had friends as well um, who have you know ha- had depression or had suicidal thoughts or things like that. And whenever we kind of text back and forth, they'll say, "I know it's nothing compared to you," but that's not. We are in the same you know pay we're on the same page together we hate ourselves to some extent our bodies are if working pa- against if you're paying
2: attention you're hating yeah. yourself
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so i i feel like it is you know and there's also people that have autoimmune disorders that thrive so i just I'm, I'm still trying mm-hmm. my oddly enough my my therapist uh Ended up having lupus and so, but she like does. Yeah, but she was like, oh, I'm great now. Like I do marathons and stuff. I'm like, oh, God, like who did marathons before?
2: (laughs) And are you inspired by that or does it make you feel like a a failure?
1: It does make me feel like a failure. I don't know if I'm inspired because I just feel like that's not me. And. Yeah, I don't know. I think know. so
2: many of the things that are supposed to inspire us can make, make us, us feel yeah, like shit. Like when I see Tony Robbins a, a commercial, I just, I can't turn it off fast enough because I'm like, I will never be one of those take my life by the horns, <laughs> get up at six and do all that shit. It just, it, it just,
1: what about the people that, you know, the in the Paralympics and stuff like that, or the people that they lose their limbs and they're out still running marathons, and it's like, I I don't even do that now, so, <laughs> what, <laughs> with all my limbs.
2: Have you ever, uh, and, and I hope I'm not being one of those people that just is annoying and saying, have you ever tried this, but have you ever heard of a book called The Body Ecology Diet?
1: I have, yeah, I've read that. Okay. Yeah, and I also get their smoothie uh, every day at Erewhon. Okay. They have a body ecology sp- I've read the- Yes. I've done almost, I, I, I've done everything. Um, I feel like aside from a fecal transplant, which I'm looking at now. because What is they that? Had a lot, it's where they basically put the gut flora of a healthy person into an unhealthy person. Mm. And they've seen a lot of good results from it. Really? Autoimmune disorders. Yes. So that's something I'm heavily considering. But I've done acupuncture. I've done, I'm currently following extremely strict dairy-free, gluten-free, soy-free, you know, everything. Low sugar, low acid. Yeah, well, exactly. Diet. Very alkaline. Um, What else? Oh, armor thyroid. I was taking that. But, because a lot of people are like, oh, just take thyroid hormone. You'll be fine. But when you have, I don't have a thyroid disorder. I have an autoimmune disorder. So what that means is when I put thyroid into my body, my antibodies flare up. They Mm. sense it and they attack it. They attack the thyroid tissue. So armor was something that my doctors and I were semi- hopeful about because it's natural thyroid um, I've only heard horrible things about synthroid that is uh, not natural and is a synthetic uh thyroid not to get really technical here but a lot of people I've seen they lo- they continue to lose hair they gain weight and I just I can't I also had an eating disorder um, right at the end of high school which who would know that from my dad saying that my face looked Fatter. Um, so anyway, so my, my weight has always been a part of how I value myself.
2: What did your eating disorder look like?
1: I was anorexic. Um, I starved myself and I ended up going to therapy and getting a nutritionist and um, to, and I, that's kind of why I went into the medical field. I, w- I was in kinesiology and that's the study of the body and, and the science of the body So, um, and exercise science. So I, my therapist and my nutritionist worked together to help me see food as my fuel. Um, and I became a personal trainer. and But anyways, my body has always been such a... I don't know why. I just... I don't think I'll ever lose that. My body is so much of how I value myself. And I don't think I will ever like myself until I like my body. That
2: makes sense to me. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me.
1: Yeah. But that's something I told my therapist. And I'm really trying to work on like... Valuing my creativity and my comedy and my writing, but I just can't without my body.
2: You also, you don't see your creativity in the morning.
1: Yeah, in the mirror. (laughs) That's so true. And you don't get. Oh, here's another thing: is being in this in this town and the auditions I get sent on. My commercial agent. Um, I some of the descriptions are extremely insulting. One of them.
2: We're looking for a moon faced suicidal. Moon
1: faced We got. I one of them. I got was. I'm not kidding you. Average looking girl. Looking for average looking girls, you know, best friend types. Um, That was one I got. Another was mom types, mom body types. And I'm, I don't know. I'm in my 20s. Like when I get sent for mom jobs, granted it was Hispanic mom. So I was like, all right, I I get what you're trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) I would have like three kids by now. But um, anyways, yeah, I have definitely, I have horrible body image issues, which I'm very honest about.
2: Do you want to talk more about
1: it? Um, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel that being in a relationship helps me with them. It is nice to have someone saying you're sexy or beautiful, having someone attracted to your body. But I hate being reliant on that. And deep down, my hatred of my body is still there. Because no matter how much they tell me I'm sexy or beautiful, I just don't. I don't believe them.
2: Do you feel like if you didn't have Hashimoto's, it would be easier to love your body? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's God. I've gained 10 pounds in the last year that I'm 5'4". That's a lot. Um, I look normal, but I don't look like myself. That's the thing. When people say you look fine, I don't care. I don't look like how I did a year ago. And that really upsets me. That was a part of my identity. Um, I can't work out. I don't have the energy to, I'm sure Hashimoto's is so common. I'm sure people listening definitely relate to that is, um, it just, it, it steals so much of your identity. It really does. Let's talk about the depression. Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, talk about your depression.
1: Um, I don't know. I feel like it's an ever. It doesn't
2: Is it there when the Hashimoto's isn't flaring up?
1: It is, yeah. It's definitely something that I've lived with or that I've noticed since my teenage years. And for some reason, it always seems to be strung to like relationships that it kind of ebbs and flows depending on my relationships. In the beginning of my relationships, it's like it disappears. That's great. It's like the honeymoon phase. And then it slowly seeps back in. But the guy is already in love with me and he gets sucked in with it. And I feel like all I feel like my depression ruins my relationships. A hundred percent, it really does.
2: Talk about what ways it
1: drains me, and it drains him. It drains. I know it drained my husband. I know it probably is draining my current boyfriend. It stresses them out. I've always been attracted to happy-go-lucky guys. I don't know why. I've been attracted to nice guys. Probably because my dad was not one. Anytime a guy is like my dad, it's mm-hmm. a huge turnoff. You wouldn't believe it. Any male that has even semi narcissistic traits i just or talks about how much money they make or anything like that i just can't handle it and so i find nerdy guys and i date them and they're nice but i feel like i ruin them i feel like my depression ruins them i feel like suddenly they live this happy go lucky life and now they're exposed to me and and who is this girl she has have you ever seen Along came Pauly. Mm -mm. Okay. Ben Stiller is an actuary, actually. um, And his life is very structured. And then he meets Jennifer Aniston. And her life is a total mess. She's in her 40s and still a complete mess. And, you know, hasn't been married. I think she has a ferret or something. I don't know. That's how I feel when guys meet me. I'm a mess. And I attract guys that need to rescue me. And my depression just overtakes them and us and ruins it. I definitely feel like that.
2: What ways does your depression manifest itself? And
1: man, I I take out my illness and I take out my depression and my frustrations on the people closest to me because I know that they'll stick around.
2: Welcome to the club.
1: <laughs> and I have mood swings like crazy. Now, I don't throw stuff like my dad, but That Latin fiery side of me is still, I don't know. My therapist says I'm really passionate. To me, I'm just, I get angry. I get really angry, but I can't take it out on the people I really want to take it out on. So I take it out on my loved ones. And that's normally whoever's in a relationship with me. And yeah, it's great that I'm a writer and a comedian, but I also really know what to say to hurt somebody. Give
2: me some examples of uh, moments that you've been ashamed where your anger has gotten the best of you or or just some uh, foible that you have, you know, where you've done something. And you're like, there there you go again, Danny.
1: Um, I don't know. If you're I'll comfortable. Th- yeah. No, I'm or trying to you think can of think things. Of I feel like I've probably repressed them <laughs> 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 deep into my <laughs> mm. I've probably put them away somewhere. Um, I don't I don't know. I think I told. I know when I was breaking up with my husband, I just, I told him that he would never make me happy. And that doesn't really sound that bad. But at the time, it just, he tried so hard. He tried so hard. Every guy that I've dated has tried so hard to make me happy and they just can't. Um,
2: do you feel like you're afraid of
1: intimacy? No, no. And in fact, I really, I originally really, you know, I, bought a house and we and we settled down and and I thought I wanted kids, and I still think maybe I might want kids, but at times I don't because I don't want to bring them into this world the way that I am. I think I'd be a great mom, but other times I'm like, no, I'm so sick, and I can barely handle myself why I can't bring and I know sometimes people bring a child to make them happier, and I think that's so dangerous at times, but yeah i don't I don't know, I'm not scared of intimacy, I'm just scared that I'll turn out like my dad. I'm scared that I will be selfish and eventually push away everyone that has gotten close to me or hurt them, and then I'll eventually die alone. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty deep. (laughs) It's really deep.
2: It's funny, right before we started rolling, I I said, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast or not, but we like to try to go deep and talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about, and uh, I want to commend you on... Um, taking the ball and running with it uh, and trusting, uh, trusting me, uh, enough to say some things that are a lot of people would have, uh, difficulty saying, saying out loud.
1: I just want to thank you for giving me and others this platform really Mm -hmm. to kind of just open up and, and help others too. like, just listening to other episodes helped me because you feel less alone, you know? You feel less like that person who is angry and looking at people on instagram and unfollowing them and you start feeling like maybe those people on instagram are also suffering too so i just want to thank you for yeah. for giving me this platform
2: uh, is there anything else that you'd like to uh to talk about
1: um i'm trying to think i mean aside from the therapy that i'm doing now i didn't know have you s- had success doing therapy
2: I have. I've had breakthroughs doing therapy. Um, I've gotten a lot of clarity around therapy. Probably the biggest breakthroughs for me have been from support groups. Okay.
1: Um, I need to find one. That's what I need to do. My friends have told me that I need to find one because they've had success doing that and I just haven't.
2: Are there issues that uh, you, you struggle with that you think a support group would be?
1: I think probably my, you know, my, I still have anger towards my dad. I blocked him. I blocked his phone number. I don't speak to him anymore. I realized as an adult that there are some people you just don't need in your life anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. weird because I just saw an article that somebody posted on Facebook about how you shouldn't feel guilty about Xing out a family member. And because I think a lot of times, I'm a uh, Catholic. I was raised hardcore Catholic. My dad is Latin Catholic. And my mom is Irish Catholic, which is the most Catholic anyone could be. Um, it just that, means we drink a lot that's at the, weddings. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the
2: triple cl- triple isn't crown it? of Catholicism. Yeah. I've yeah,
1: hit the Trinity right there. And my dad used that against me. Like this isn't very Christian of you. You're not very forgiving. I mean, like, there's a difference between forgiveness and being an idiot. Like, You're actually harming me. Like, having you in my life is hurting me. So, anyways, I blocked him. But I still, I'm having dreams. I'm having dreams about him where I'm just yelling at him. So, clearly, and I haven't talked to him in, like, two years. I'm still having dreams about it, so clearly I have an issue. It
2: takes a long time to to cut that parental cord. Yeah. I've have gone through it with my mom, and it and it takes it's been, for me. It's been three years, and it's you know my therapist tells me over and over again that that the the desire of the child to have yeah. that parent there is so strong that the your brain will beat up on you. As much as possible to try to keep that bonded at at any cost. But ultimately, you know, as you were sharing that, I was thinking to myself, I think the longer you go taking care of of yourself emotionally Mm -hmm. and cutting toxic people out of your life. I think that's going to pave the way to make it easier for you to begin to uh, love yourself and love your body more. I really do.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. You know, and and he was also such a huge part of why I hated my body, because when you're a child, where do you get that? Where do you get those ideas from? You know, so and you
2: believe what your parents say is the gospel truth. So when it's something that's that's hurtful or right, minimizing it's
1: or if you're told you're an idiot all the time or something like that, you kind of just feel that way about yourself. So as I got older, I was like, oh, wait, you're not. I don't have to be friends with you. I don't have to have you in my life. And um, it's kind of nice now that I've had a little bit of success. Like my my little brother still talks to him, but I know he shared something that I did, some article or something that I was in. And I remember my dad reaching out like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And I remember thinking, no. Like you don't get to enjoy this. Like you don't get to enjoy my success and be like, oh yeah, that's my daughter. I'm like, watch my stand up. You're half in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you because I know he'd be the my dad. This is really dark, but my dad is the type of person that if I became famous, he would be the first one to like sell my baby pictures to TMZ or something. Yeah. Like he just he is, and so I'm sure eventually he'll end up in a script of mine as a villain. But um, I don't know. I just I feel. I don't feel guilty cutting him out of my life because it actually makes me a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not taking the anger that I have about him and putting it on someone else.
2: That's good. So, that's huge.
1: Yeah. So that's why I'm in there. Another reason yeah. I'm in therapy.
2: There's a website called help uh, org which has a huge list of resources, uh, support groups, hotlines, okay. websites. So uh, I also have some other ideas. Um, that I can either email you or uh, talk to you before yeah, before you totally. leave. Uh, anything else you'd like to talk about?
1: I do. I have that. I have my list. Let's do some <laughs> fears and loves. <laughs> I think some of them I already said.
2: Let's start off with fears.
1: Okay. Um, I fear I will always be the sick girl in my group of friends, and that complaining about my health will overshadow even my best traits. I can
2: tell you, just in the uh, you know fifty minutes that we've been sitting here talking, you do not strike me as the uh, Debbie Downer, uh, poor me. You have a real fighter uh, spirit in, in you that that really it it, it comes through. You because I've talked to people where you. You can see they they want to make everything about them, like yeah, there like is an emptiness. Party. Yeah, that that where it goes beyond, you know, the normal. Yes, you you need some comfort, you need some love, you need some attention, but then it's never enough. You don't strike me as that as that type Thank of person. Thank
1: you. Thank you. But I then also- again,
2: we've only talked for fifteen <laughs> minutes. You might be a complete <laughs> asshole.
1: I also try to like like I said, I hate myself, not necessarily other people. I try not to blame other people for my problems because I know we all have that friend that kind of. Does that, I mean, aside from my dad, I don't blame him for all my problems, just some of them. Um, I fear I will never fully reach my potential um, and that my depression will continue to occupy the majority of my time and stunt my career growth. (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) do I relate to that so much? (laughs) These Uh, are very specific. Yeah,
2: what I, I did through work in my support group, I realized that my deepest core fear is that my life will be forgettable.
1: Yeah. 100%. That's probably one of the reasons also why I feel like I haven't committed suicide the other times when I felt like it because I it's not necessarily that I fear death, it's that I fear I I'll gotta, die I, and life goes on without me.
2: I, I got to show you motherfuckers what I was yeah, capable of before yeah. I check out.
1: And that people forget about me. God, that's so that's so much more scarier. Um oh, here's one that I really do. This is I fear coming forward about my weaknesses because it will make me less desirable to future employers and that I will be seen less as an asset and more of a liability.
2: I can I can understand why you would think that but I can tell you somebody who is emotionally honest and in touch with their inner life those kind of people make the world a better place. And they're
1: so creative. And they're too. so
2: creative and they help other people around them. They're part of important support networks. Um Damn, yeah, I
1: The show yeah, the shows that I have worked on, it's like every everyone's messed up. Yes. Especially comedy shows. God, everyone is messed up in that writer's room, I can tell you right now. Um and you kind of like become a family. So and it's just known. I mean, what what would you have to talk about? Like how would you at parties and stuff if you weren't messed up? You know, you'd have a normal, boring life. Yeah, and, I agree. Um Do you want me to move into loves? Uh um,
2: are you done with fears?
1: Um I think some of them. So I, I fear I will take out my illness and frustrations on the people who care about me the most because I know that they'll stick around. Okay. Yeah, that that for sure. Um, yeah, I'll move on to loves. Okay. Um, this is really specific. I love the sound my dog makes when she is sniffing for something, and she finally founds it, finds it. She lets out a tremendous sigh of relief, and it's <laughs> one of the most comforting sounds.
2: That's fantastic! Your dog it, sighs uh, when she finds yes. something.
1: Oh my gosh! I'm gonna send you photos of my dog because she is like a meme. Like she is the most expressive. What kind? She's a Beagle mix. She's Beagle uh. Boston Terrier. Her eyes. Okay, one, she looks like she always just listened to Adele. Like, she just looks so <laughs> On the verge sad. of tears. Yes, and it has like that Basset hound almost look. But anyway, she'll sniff and she'll sniff, sniff, and she finds what she wants and she just lets out this hue, because the beagle in her has, I don't know, how many more scents or whatever, sensories. Huh. She just lets out this great sigh. It's the best sound in the world. I love it. Oh, that's it. awesome. Um... This is another thing. I love taking my time finding extremely creative gifts for my friends, and I pride myself on being a talented gifter.
2: That is a wonderful gift. My wife uh, has that, and she uh just today she she told me uh that uh, we have we have a good friend and they have a son and uh our friend said if you're looking for a gift to get uh Garrett uh he might like this, and she said, "I already got him. That, that <laughs> my wife is so dialed yes. in to people that she barely knows. It's like a sixth sense.
1: Yeah, I feel really intuitive, and okay. I just I I love it too. It's almost like you get the it's like a double gift. It's like you get it, but also they get to you know have it and enjoy it.
2: Yeah, what a great way to say I get you.
1: Yeah, I totally get you. yeah, and yeah. it's super thoughtful." I love it. Um those were all my loves that I had um on here. I guess uh, other things I can think off the top of my head. I love this is really random. I love the way my mom smells. That's I love a good one. she has a mommy smell like my brothers and I would always. That's weird. We used to smell her. We would smell her arms like they're just so soft and they had mom smell. That's beautiful. I love mom smell so she still has it. She's beautiful. She's like reverse aging. I can't wait to inherit those jeans of hers. So she hasn't aged at all. She loves it when people say we look like sisters, but Oh my
2: God, she, that's gotta be fantastic. Yeah. For she, her,
1: for her <laughs> again, mom type. See, I'm a mom type yeah. going out for auditions. Um, but she, she's a, a beautiful soul. She's been th- thick and thin. The woman is stuck by me. She took me to like the majority of my hospital visits and, when I got sick and the cardiologist, she lived there with me. So um, I love her. Yeah. Well, what
2: a great note to to end that. Yeah, yeah. Danny, if people want to follow you on Twitter, uh, what's your Twitter handle?
1: I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez. It's M S D A N I F E R N A N D E Z. Um, and yeah, same on Instagram. You will see great photos of my life, and also the ones if I'm losing my hair. I think those, I
2: think those are great. Yeah. Thanks, For Danny. You. Yeah. Thank you. Many, many thanks to uh, to Danny. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as as much as I did. Uh, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Howl.fm. Howl is a brand new app uh, and website that changes the way you think about podcast. It's uh, think of it as Netflix but for for podcasts, and with Howl Premium. You get exclusive access to all kinds of stuff uh, dozens of original miniseries, audio documentaries, and comedy albums. And new episodes are released every week. You get uh, all the archives from some of the best pa- podcasts out there, like uh, WTF with Mark Marin, and all of the Earwolf shows, like Comedy Bang Bang or uh, How Did This Get Made. Um, and I, I want to tell you about the Howell miniseries because th- that's one of the most unique parts of uh, the subscription. To Howl. There's one in particular called Something Cool, which is an audio documentary series uh, hosted by uh, my friend Lorraine Newman, and it focuses on careers of really, really underrated artists that people should know about and uh, who deserve to have their stories told. And One episode in particular, episode three, it tells the story of uh, Carol Cleveland, whose name might not ring a bell, but you know her from uh, the years on Monty Python as the beautiful uh, blonde woman who played kind of the the straight person role. And um, the the episode with her just has interesting interviews with uh, a lot of people related to, to Monty Python and Carol herself tells uh, her story and uh, what it was like to be considered the seventh uh, Python. So uh, you can get access uh, to all of this exclusive content on your iPhone, your Android phone, and on the web for only $4.99 a month. And I've got to tell you, uh, that is a good deal. When you look at the quality of of shows that are on Howl FM and the abundance of episodes. Uh, and if you use the promo code MENTAL, you'll get a full month free trial. So to redeem your promo code, make sure you create your account on the web at howl.fm and then enter the code MENTAL at checkout. Once again, howl.fm, that's how l.fm and use the promo code MENTAL for a one month free trial of Howl Premium. Um one more thing I wanted to tell you which is um if you want to support our show uh either financially or otherwise go to our website and you can make a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite you can become a recurring monthly donor for as little as 5 bucks a month it uh, may not seem like a lot of money to you but it adds up and helps keep this show uh going um You can also support us uh, by using our Amazon search portal. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through our uh, search portal. And uh, if you wind up buying something at Amazon, they'll give us a couple of nickels and it doesn't cost you anything. And you can also support us non-financially by going to iTunes and writing something nice about the show, giving us a good rating, and uh, by spreading the word about uh, our podcast through social media. All of those things help greatly. Or as I like to say, you can just uh, sit on the couch with your thumb up your ass, which is a great time to go fuck yourself. Probably that's considered prime go fucking yourself. uh, uh. I don't know what the word is. Yeah, that's right. I just snorted. All right, let's get to some. I'm I'm taking my hoodie off because I know these are going to be, I got a stack of surveys. And this first one is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by Rachel, who writes, um, this is just a snapshot from her life, her issue is depression, and she writes, I just moved across the country for that, quote, fresh start I thought I needed. Despite getting the job I wanted and the house I wanted, I feel like a huge asshole because I can't seem to appreciate anything I have. Not only am I still depressed, I'm now depressed across the country with no friends and no support system. All I want is to be back in my old life. And the reason I wanted to read this one is I think it's such a great example of what we call in, uh, in my support groups doing a geographic, which is thinking that if we move someplace uh, else, uh, all our problems uh, are, are, are going to be behind us. And while I think that might be the case, if if you're trying to leave, uh, put some distance between yourself and a toxic family, um, I think uh, you've really got to think twice think twice about it. This is from the shame and secret survey filled out by Donnie and he is in his 20s pansexual, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment uh, I think that's what it says, there's a staple in the way he was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, he writes sex with brother at a young age and later sold body for drugs to older men uh, 30 to 50 uh, when he was 15 to 16 and um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, not sure. Parents have said some mean shit, but words don't really cut as deep for me because I'm kind of numb to that sort of stuff because I've been bullied quite a bit, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. Darkest thoughts. Most recently, I was watching a Ted Bundy documentary, Fucked Up on DMX, DXM, and I came to the realization that... Fucked Up on D. Yeah, he was fucked up on the rapper, DMX. Uh... And I came to the realization that all I had to do was uh, be world famous and have a cult following. I realized all I had to do to be world famous and have a cult following was to go next door and murder this old lady that I do a lot of yard work for. She is small and very sick. That's probably not the worst, but that is the most recent dark thought. Darkest secrets, sexual abuse, prostituting myself for drugs, every kind of drug, and having strange sexual fantasies. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't have too many anymore. I'm pretty sexually exhausted. Having experienced all my fantasies and much more, but I used to fantasize about being very submissive to another guy. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my friend that is addicted to heroin that I need him to stop. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want money. Pretty lame and an unoriginal wish, but I just really fucking need some. Have you shared these things with others? Not, uh, Not most of it. I shared small bits and pieces in rehab, and it went fine, I guess. How do you feel after writing these things down? A bit relieved, even though I'm just typing it onto an internet survey, because these are very, very secret secrets of mine. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'd tell them to tell someone, but I haven't even done that myself, so I'd be a hypocrite. And he puts a smiley face on that. We're sending you a hug, Donnie. Sending you a hug, buddy. This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by um, a trans male who calls himself Roll the Dice and uh about his anxiety he writes having to voluntarily unclench my jaw all day and constantly talk myself down from worrying about the outcome of literally everything that is a great uh a great snapshot of that anxiety i find myself sometimes when i'm when i'm trying to nap and i find myself uh having to consciously over and over tell myself to to let my arm go and and unclench my shoulder it's uh it's annoying. This was filled out. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Nina, and uh, she's a teenager. And about her OCD, she writes, "I said just one cut, and that's all I want, but I can't stop shaking until I make seven. About her PTSD, looking over my shoulder even when I'm against the wall. That's a good one. Thank you for that. This is filled out by Angela. This is a shame and secret survey, and um, I thought this this was a really uh, interesting survey um she had a, a really abusive boyfriend and i thought this was such a classic survey um that i'm just gonna read it angela is in her 30s uh she prefers not to choose a label for her uh sexuality she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, She writes, I was sexually abused by my first boyfriend. I was a teen and very naive. I thought it was wrong for me to be sexual in any way, and I was ashamed that I, quote, permitted him to do what he did to me. But I also felt that I could not stop him because I believed he was capable of killing me if I displeased him in any way. I was manipulated by him in many ways because I thought if I didn't do what he wanted, he would rape me or kill me, or rape, or kill my sister, or set fire to my family's house in the night. He made me believe he was capable of all this and more. I was terrorized, but I was also numb much of the time because I would dissociate. In my twenties, I experienced a lot of leftover fear and shame. Now in my thirties, I have less shame. I still have a lot of fear, but I manage it better. I dissociate less, I'm getting stronger, I'm starting to trust myself. She's also been physically and emotionally abused. She writes, I was terrorized by my first boyfriend. He made me believe he had murdered people and then he might murder me or my family members if I, quote, caused him to. He would abuse me and then, and then he would cry and tell me how I made him do it. He'd make me feel like I was causing his pain and my own. I felt so confused and so ashamed. I also felt trapped. He told me if I ever left him, he would find me no matter how long it took and he would pin me down physically and tell me how weak and incapable I was. It sunk in. I felt powerless. Looking back, I don't feel as much shame anymore. I feel sorry for that teen girl I was and I know that she slash I didn't deserve that kind of mistreatment. Random memories still cause me deep shame though. For example, one time after he was really verbally abusive, he wanted me to make out with him. So twisted. And he sucked on my tongue so violently that he tore the skin uh, or tissue underneath that connects the tongue to the mouth. I didn't react in the moment, but the pain of it caused me incredible shame until it healed. And it's still very embarrassing to remember it now, even though it was so long ago. And this is the, the, the part that I, that I wanted to read, uh, which speaks to how, how much power a highly manipulative, abusive person can have over somebody. Um, Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, I've had positive experiences with the abuser and so many complicated feelings. I don't reflect on the pleasant experiences much, but I'll sometimes remember hilarious things he said, and I'll still think they're funny, or I'll recall moments in which he seemed adorable, and I don't like having these memories. I feel like I'm betraying myself by having warm feelings towards him. Very infrequently now, I'll dream about him. Sometimes they are nightmares, but sometimes they are dreams that remind me in a vivid way of the loving and protective feelings I had towards him. It's an aching feeling, aching for connection and searching and searching and searching for something that you're sure is there, but isn't. Man, that is, that is, I wanted to read that because that is just classic, classic, uh, I guess you'd call it love, love addiction, but that that cycle of of abuse. Because we always think to ourselves, "Why didn't you just fucking leave that person?" But they're so manipulative. Um, (laughs) This is a happy moment. I don't know if she got Herbert's name wrong, or she really. uh, This isn't meant to be about Herbert my dog but uh, her name is edgar's fuzzy butthole (laughs) and uh this is her happy moment at around six years old i was being abused and whenever i would go to cry at school i would hide behind a big pin board in my school's hall i would usually do this during break times so it was usually pretty empty My cry spot was completely shielded from the hall. I would sit there pitifully crying until the bell would ring and I'd go puffy-eyed and sniffing to my English class. I did this for months until one day I was crying in my usual spot, pathetic, I know, when my English teacher came and sat down next to me in my cramped little spot and talked to me in a loving maternal tone about how, quote, year two was really hard." And how well I was doing. And I remember sitting there sobbing onto her shoulder, spluttering about how scared and sad I felt and her listening. I have never felt so safe. I remember how soft her cardigan felt and how comforting it was to me. For the first time, I felt appreciated, validated, and like some, someone's daughter. Even though I wasn't technically her kid and it didn't solve everything, she cared and it showed. That, that is uh, that is bittersweet thank you for that the thing that really touched me too is that you remember the softness of her cardigan I love I love when you guys paint paint pictures of your lives this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself I'm sinking your're waiting she's in her 20s. Uh, she's straight, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, she's never been sexually abused. Not sure if she's, uh, been physically or emotionally abused. Get ready for this. Get ready for this. Not sure. My parents were always quick to criticize my parents' hobbies and skills or lack thereof ever since I was a child. I never felt like I was good enough. And as I got older, I eventually decided that rather than open myself up and potentially getting hurt, I would keep myself open only on a surface level, sticking to, quote, safer, more generic topics—school, work, news events, etc.— than ones that were personal or revealed anything about what I felt, what I liked, or what genuine goals I had for myself and what I wanted my life to be. The walls I mentally set up around myself don't just keep me at a mile's distance from my family members, but also with anyone new I meet. I hate it, honestly. I wish I could allow myself to be, well, myself with everyone, but I can't. It takes so much time for me to feel at ease, to shake the feeling that I need to prove my worth to anyone I meet, to understand that the person or people might actually like me and that I'm not a nuisance. There's some people in my life that I am comfortable with, and it's very freeing. But as a 20 something, it's getting harder and harder to see them as often, with everyone's lives going in different directions, with careers now that college is done. I'm scared I'll end up alone with no friends and no meaningful connections at all. Any positive experiences with your abusers? I feel hesitant to call them abusers because I don't know if my treatment could be considered emotional abuse. Yes. It was emotional abuse. Uh, They are my parents, so it's complicated to say the least. I have a lot of great memories with them. You know, and just to back up, that's not to say that a healthy parent uh, can't actually, uh, can't uh, occasionally say something that's, you know, maybe a little overly critical to their child, but when it's a consistent pattern of it and that child... Uh, retreats into a shell and the parents have no interest in trying to pull that child out of the shell or, you know, create more safety and trust, that's abuse. That is abuse. Um... I have a lot of great memories with them and I understand both of them have their own slew of problems with self-esteem and issues from their relationships with their own parents and that it probably played a role in it. The worst part, to be honest, is that even when I tried to explain how they made me feel, not everything, I could never imagine telling them all of this, it, is, it essentially went through one ear and out the other. My mother's response was that she, quote, didn't think she was that bad in regards to her commenting on my appearance, which continues even now to to a lesser degree as for my father he said quote oh please and that was that yeah that is straight up fucking abuse and that is every bit as valid as a parent that hits their child it is the the message is the same that parent is saying to that child you don't matter and that fucks kids up darkest thoughts i still live at home so childhood photos and relics are everywhere and sometimes when i see the photos of myself as a kid i feel so ashamed it probably sounds pathetic but i've cried about it too that doesn't sound pathetic that sounds heartbreaking i and also kind of healing uh that little girl had so much promise and hope but i turned her into me i feel horrible about it my life now is nothing that my younger self imagined it to be hell it's nothing I wanted it to be 4 years ago nor would I want it to be now. It's no wonder I only have a few friends. Darkest secrets. I feel like there's something wrong with me for feeling this way. I wonder if I'm depressed. I would bet you probably are depressed, um but the the way that you are right now is not is is not the the authentic you, the authentic you had to retreat into yourself and where therapy and support groups would help would be, it would be a way to rebuild trust in the world around you and to get a support network and to learn how to establish boundaries. And that authentic you would be able to reemerge. So don't, please don't think that, that you've become a person that you are frozen into being for the rest of your life. Um, not not if you reach out for help. So I really encourage you to, to do that. Um, yeah, your survey really moved me. It really moved me. And we're sending you a hug. But it's Christmas time, so it's going to get there late. I think I made that joke last week. Uh, this is Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Ricksville. And uh, he is bisexual in his 30s. Um, Was raised in a totally chaotic environment. He's never been sexually abused, but uh, he's been emotionally abused. He writes, my mother had no clue how to raise us. I hate her for that and for the fact she cannot do as my dad did and admit it. Um, Darkest thoughts taking my life. Darkest secrets. I would not know where to start sexual fantasy is most powerful to you i have a fetish for nylon outdoor clothing it took me a long time to realize i'm not crazy for that odd maybe but not crazy what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to i have a problem telling my wife what i'd like her to do in bed why i don't know um what if anything do you wish for i wish to not feel ashamed Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I found the website FetLife. It feels good to know it's not just me. How do you feel after writing these things down? Strange. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Yes, FetLife helps a lot. It is a good release and a place to find people just like you. Uh, FetLife is a website, um, I hope I'm not describing this wrong, but um, for people who have fetishes and ways for them to uh, connect with with each other. And um yeah, I, I I wish you uh luck on being able to um connect to your wife and and, and open up um because you you deserve it and she also as a, your partner des- deserves to know what's going on in your your mind and your, your soul. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Mary in Sacramento. She is straight. Uh And then she qualifies, but I'm not really. Sex just as nothing to me anymore. I don't care about it anymore. I'm perfectly happy without it. She is... How old is she? And I got cut off. Maybe I can see it here. Oh, she's in her her, her, uh, 50s. And she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, My uncle would always try to stick his tongue in my mouth. I need to get a bell on the desk, although it might remind me too much of the morning zoo people, but when I read some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts, then we could ring the bell when they cross the threshold of that being yes that is abuse so my uncle would always try to stick his tongue in my mouth ding 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 i was about four his son my cousin fondled me in the woods near my house twice uh that are vivid memories i was maybe seven or eight uh an elder an elderly man showed his penis when i was collecting for the march of dimes i was around nine um that might be one of the most fucked up things that I've ever heard. A child coming to collect money for a charity. And you do that. Wow. Uh, The worst and most troubling, my husband always badgered me to sleep with strangers. It was so oppressive. I felt trapped. I didn't want to, but he would always tell me I was boring and that if I would agree to his wishes, he would be happy. So I did. My intent was to do it just once so he would stop pressing me to do it. That's not what happened. He wanted me to do it all the time. I hated it. When I finally got the balls to say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore, the threat started. If I didn't participate, he would take my children. He would take everything and put me on the street. I became really depressed. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. Well, that was emotional abuse uh, also, what your, what your husband uh, did. Um, our mother would whip us pretty bad with the belt. she once tackled me and threw me under a wrought iron table and chairs and tried to strangle me and You're not sure if that's physical or emotional abuse. My dad had to pull her off uh she held a knife to my face and told me she was going to put me in jail. I'd come home late from school uh that and no, that was not a normal thing I did therapist says it all qualifies but didn't all kids in the 80s go through stuff like that i'm sorry to laugh but it it i'm not laughing at you i'm laughing at the way our brains minimize our trauma uh Any positive experiences with your abusers? Well, of course, it's really hard to wrap your brain around the idea of your experience being that of abuse. What was done to you was done by your mother, the person you love and trust most in life. Darkest thoughts, exposing my ex-husband for the asshole he really is. Telling my father's relatives what that cousin did to me. Darkest secrets, I get to know people just long enough to become friends. But then I just pull away, become distant, not interested, avoid them. People are complicated in too much work, and that's why God created dogs. Um, yeah, and then that, that's the that's the end of her uh, survey. Thank you for that. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Over the Rainbow and she writes, I always feel inadequate at work. Every little mistake I make is a catastrophe in my head and I believe I will be fired. I recently attended my company's Christmas party with my boyfriend and the first thing my boss says to him is, we just love your girlfriend. She is awesome and we are never letting her leave. And that moment, I swelled with pride and happiness because I realized that one, I'm a fucking awesome employee. And two, nobody is perfect and we all make mistakes. Oh, and three, I don't have to be so goddamn hard on myself. And then in parentheses, easier said than done. Any suggestions that make podcasts better? Talk about Herbert's asshole some more <laughs> or just go fuck yourself. I will talk about Herbert's asshole some more. When, when, Herbert's asshole is freshly shaved and uh, and scented with lilac. We've never done that. Uh, when we get him back from the groomer, his asshole almost looks like, like if a debutante were to come down the stairs and sit in a high-backed, uh, ornate Victorian-era chair, his asshole looks like you would hope to design the back of that chair to be just pink and and delicate and perfectly round <laughs> oh my god <laughs> how do you how do you listen to this podcast how do you aren't you disgusted aren't you bored Aren't you tired of all the sadness and the dysfunction and my voice? You do have incredibly low self-esteem. And I'm talking to you. Me, I'm good. I have no problems. I got it all figured out. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Adam. He is straight in his 30s. Raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Oh, I'm sorry, slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was very young, around eight, I was sexually active with two teenage sisters. Ding, ding, ding. One 13 and one 16. It started with simple things uh, with the 13-year-old, kissing and touching. Over a few years, things slowly advanced. When her sister caught us doing things, she said she would tell our parents unless I had sex with her. I was okay with that, though. I didn't really know what I was doing. After that, I had sex with both of them, sometimes with one watching and pleasuring herself. I never had an issue with it, though. I do feel it's contributed to much of my sexual preferences and moral ethical code, or whatever you would call it you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. As stated above, stuff happened there, but I don't know if I'd call it abuse as I enjoyed it and don't look back on it with any regret. Um, I, I can't speak for, for your insides, but I can say that the body and the soul can experience two completely different things at the same time, and we can get extreme pleasure while our soul is being damaged. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I often think about expanding on things I've already done, seeking sexual relationships with other family members. The two sisters weren't family, but I'm about to get into that on question number seven, which is, what are your darkest secrets? Through my life, I've had a very loose moral compass in some aspects with sex. In my teen years, I was sexually active with one of my sisters uh, after previously mentioned things happened. Uh, She came to me asking for it, which makes me believe similar things happened to her. That stopped one day around 15 when our mom almost walked in on us. Around that time, I made out with a cousin of mine a few times and never went past that. From there, uh, that stuff stopped until a few years ago. One of my cousins and I had many years of moments that created a lot of sexual tension between us. There were many opportunities for me to ask, but she had been sexually abused, and I felt that if I told her how I felt, she would uh, she would at the least uh, tell my parents. Over time, I gave up on the idea. One day, about three years ago, I had just gotten out of a really bad relationship, went to her house to drink and game. Her sister stopped by, and they had a short conversation about a cousin by marriage Uh, to the family who tried to have sex with her and she cock-teased him relentlessly. When her sister took off, I just figured why not throw it out there. I told her I'd thought about having sex with her for years and it always had a weird crush on her and I knew I shouldn't. She told me she's wanted to have sex with me since we met but wasn't sure if I'd be okay with it and that she was glad I didn't say so all those years ago because she had her tubes tied only a year ago. I ended up staying the weekend at her place having sex every time I got hard. Since then, whenever we're both single and we have sex... Uh, Since then, whenever we're both single, we have sex any chance we get. I haven't done this in over a year as I'm in a relationship, but the urges are always there. I've thought many times about leaving my girlfriend because of the things she won't do in bed just to go back to that, as well as possibly pursue sexual relationships with another cousin as well as one of my aunt's. I know society sees this as wrong, but the way I see it, as long as both parties are of legal age and consenting, there's no reproduction happening. I have no issues with incest. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Incest is the strongest, followed by sex with a pregnant woman. Um, how do you feel about that? Indifferent. I've shared this with my counselor and gone into much greater detail. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wanted to tell a few family members I'm sexually attracted to them. Wouldn't say anything unless I thought there was a very good chance they'd be okay with it. What, if anything, do you wish for an Xbox One? Dot, dot, dot. Seriously. Have you shared these things with others? My counselor and best friend who's told me his fantasies about his stepsister. Um... If your counselor is also your best friend and they're telling you their sexual fantasies, um, that's a really shitty counselor and a shitty best friend. Uh, those should be two separate people. Your counselor should not that just that is just not good. if if the the way you're using the word counselor means like as in therapist, that is that is not good. How do you feel after writing these things down? It's good to get it off my chest, though I don't feel much different aside from slightly aroused from remembering those moments. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'm not sure because I don't think most people who have been involved with incest look at it the way I do. I'm fine with it, and the fear of getting caught and knowing it's a social taboo makes the sex a lot more intense than with anyone else. I guess uh, just don't make babies. Um, Thank you so much for your your honesty, Adam. And, um, uh, I, I hope my hope for you is to find a different counselor and to maybe begin working on finding a difference between excitement and intimacy, uh, if you want intimacy in your in your life, um, because I think um, it sounds to me like you you you're addicted to um, like you're addicted to the the rush of it, the taboo rush of it. Um, but maybe maybe I'm reading maybe I'm reading too much into it, and maybe that's me being judgmental. I don't know. But either way, I'm sending you some some love. And uh, I was going to make a joke and say to all your cousins, but you know what? I can make that joke. You guys know I'm, uh, I'm on your side. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Backlog Beauty. And she writes, um, I have two friends who actually understand me. We have a group text message where we just share the things going on in our day. I love that I can trust them and count on them for support when I'm spinning out of control through anxiety, depression, or OCD. But my favorite part of all is that we can laugh at each other's struggles. We've all been there vacuuming at four in the morning because the house just isn't clean enough or not wanting to leave the house because your eyebrows aren't even. I am so happy to have them and I don't think I would survive without my friends. Love that. Love that. This is an awful moment filled out by, I think we've read her survey before, Woman in a Potato's Body. And um, she writes My family was one of those families where no one ever has the talks about the big three icks sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Unfortunately for my mom, both of her children were of the uh, be uterined. I don't know what that means, beuterine variety. And all too soon, I, her oldest, got my very first period. I yelled uh, into her bedroom as I was getting ready for bed and we both stood there staring at that weird orange stain in my underwear. So what do I do? I asked her. Nothing, she said. I'll figure this out in the morning. Oh my God. So I shoved, uh, uh, so I spent the night and, uh, in my own mess while my uterus napalmed itself. In the morning, she showed me the package of sanitary pads shoved way in the back of the bathroom cupboard. She gave me no real instructions, and the packaging was not terribly informative either, so I changed out the pads every three or four hours. Later, I would learn this is supposed to be the norm uh, to prevent you from getting the icky external equivalent of toxic toxic shock syndrome all was going well until i ran out of pads i told my mom and she went to the bathroom and looked into the trash can some of these aren't even used she told me you go through all these pads and i'll show you the ones you should have changed and the ones you should have worn longer i thought she was joking but nope before long i was on my knees in front of the toilet digging through the wastebasket and propping up soiled pads on the sink this one should have been worn longer, she told me. This one, you could have changed, but probably should have worn longer. This one, and she was so involved in showing me my wastefulness, she didn't notice my sister, then five years old, come up to the bathroom door, stare in uh, stare in at all the bloody pads on the sink, and make a break for the front door with the last few shreds of her innocence in her arms. Oddly enough, my sister always bought her own pads. My God, that is so awful. That is so awful. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Rat Tail. She is gay. She's in her 20s. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. She's never been sexually abused. She's been emotionally abused. Um, Darkest thoughts. When my dad is eating loudly next to me at dinner, I imagine how satisfying it would be to choke him and make him shut up. Sometimes I imagine making a trip to Florida to visit my ex-girlfriend just to break into her home where she lives with her partner and murder both of them and make it look like an accident. Darkest Secrets I once masturbated to the photo of a girl I was in love with, who happened to be uh, one of my best friends, and I Skyped with her moments later like nothing had happened. Also, I pull out my hair compulsively and eat it. And I don't microwave leftovers because I prefer them cold. Uh, I eat cold leftovers just because I'm lazy. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being in control, having my partner tied down and unable to touch me back, it makes me feel sad that I fear intimacy, but also kind of aroused to think about it. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't? I'd like to tell my best friend she is much better than the men she chooses to surround herself with. What, if anything, do you wish for? Ideally, living on my own island slash planet where I can have a lot of peace and quiet. Have you shared these things with others? Not the fantasies, but living in solitude. They don't really view it as a healthy thing. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Gross, to be honest. Ha ha. Thank you for sharing that. This is this is from the Being Hospitalized survey. I just want to read a portion of this. This was filled out by a, uh, a woman who calls herself not sure what is supposed to go here. And um, her experience as a uh, patient in the psych ward, she writes, um, she, she had uh, cut herself really deep and overdosed on drugs and alcohol and uh, was 5150 and uh, did You're being hospitalized. Help. She writes, I don't think so. There was always a person in my room and they put an alarm on my wrist because I had tried to make a run for it, but got stopped. No one really talked to me. Just a person with a clipboard sitting in the corner of my room minding their own business. The psychologist who saw me just kept asking me if I had sexual abuse in my past because of all the cutting. He asked me that question at least four times. I kept saying no. He didn't look me in the eyes, and I seemed to be a nuisance to him. The only advice they gave me was to stop cutting and go to therapy. I was angry for being there. You know, how how does somebody get their degree in therapy psychiatry and not know to make eye contact with somebody to not know to have empathy in your eyes when you're talking to somebody about them trying to take their life or possibly being sexually abused i i do not understand that this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself eat shame shit joy (laughs) He is asexual in his 20s, and this is just a partial survey. Uh, He's never been sexually abused. and not sure if he's been physically or emotionally. Um, Darkest thoughts. I sometimes think about suicide, but not as a way to die, just a way into the hospital. Darkest secrets. I'm a graduate student, but I'm very addicted to weed. I'm afraid to let anyone know as it would seem unprofessional and irresponsible. I'm in treatment for an eating disorder, but sometimes I wonder if I just made it up for attention. And my thought is people don't make stuff up like that usually for attention. And the other thought is that is not unprofessional or irresponsible. That's actually to to let somebody know to ask for help about an addiction is actually incredibly professional and incredibly responsible. I think it's just who you choose to, to reach out to help for. And uh, maybe call an 800 number and try to find a... Uh, um, a support group for for addiction i know that there are uh 12-step groups for for weed addiction this is uh and sending you some love and this is an awful moment uh filled out by a girl who calls herself that one girl who went to rehab and uh her awful some moment she writes my junior and senior year of high school i was sent to a therapeutic boarding school for quote troubled young women Picture 60 crazy hormonal teenage girls in a treatment center for two years who don't want to be there. After I'd been there for a few months, one of the girls decided to artistically express her distaste for the institution. Using her own feces as a medium, she would create abstract works of art on the bathroom walls. Her diverse range of work varied from beautifully detailed landscapes of shit to original and thoughtful quotes such as, you guys are all fuckers. This selfless vigilante was deemed the poop smearer, or sometimes more fondly, poop casso. Unfortunately, since no one admitted to the crime of passion, all the girls in the treatment center were put on bathroom probation. We could only enter the bathroom one at a time, and the staff would watch us like hawks while we took care of our business. And yet, poop casso struck again multiple times i don't know if the staff was blind or just insanely incompetent but we remained on this probation for another two months we didn't find out who it was until much later After a few of the girls graduated the program, we received a letter from one of them in which she revealed her true identity. We all cheered for her when the staff read us this, and she became legendary, a sort of counterculture symbol for us. As punishment for our evident support of this icon, we were promptly made to rake gravel for eight hours and assigned to, quote, think long and hard about who you idolize. To this day, for me, I still revere the poop smearer. Oh, I love a good, awfulsome moment. Oh. It's Christmas. Why wouldn't I be getting some of them? This is a shame and secret survey filled up by a guy who calls himself Rusty Jim. He's straight in his 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, he writes, when I was five or six, my slightly older step-cousins made me go into a bathroom and told me to pull a string when my pants were down so they could see my penis. I kept pulling the string without my pants being down. Eventually, I went into a shower and actually pulled my pants down, and my cousins, quote, walked in. Um, after that, it gets gray. I seemed to always be around my mom when she was naked or half-naked, when uh And when I was in second grade, I saw most of her vagina in the bathroom. This led to lots of gross sexual feelings towards her in my teen years. My stepbrother exposed his erect penis to me in a locker room once when I was 12. I think he was sexually inappropriate in other ways, but I can't remember uh i've been physically or emotionally abused never been physically but he has been emotionally my mother's my mother always has a blank dissociative look in her eyes she was so controlling when i was a teenager she installed dead bolts on the doors uh for missing curfew leaving me to sleep in my car frequently she often would lock me out of my room for not following her quote structure i hate her uh any positive experiences with your abusers um Yes, she always supported what I wanted to do with my life and took me on many road trips. Darkest thoughts, killing animals, raping people, uh, parentheses, not my mom, oddly. Uh, Killing people, fomenting uh, them physically and emotionally, uh, killing myself in many ways. Darkest secrets, Uh, Tickled my younger sister when I was 13 and she was seven. It was at night and we shared a room. I had an erection the whole time. Also jerking off while sniffing my stepmom's dirty underwear and molesting my mother in her sleep on a road trip while camping and feeling her up almost every night of the trip. I hate myself. Well, uh, you know, first of all, I want to say your mom is at fault for crossing those wires and sexualizing you at an early age and um you know if you want to get into verbiage you were not molesting your mother i i would bet that your mother was fucking awake and getting off on it when when you were doing that um and if you're not in therapy i really really hope you can get into it because um that, that shit is uh, that's a lot all of this stuff is really heavy um, that's just uh, don't try to process this all of this stuff by yourself sexual fantasy is most powerful to you anal sex with a girl or watching two girls have sex when if anything we'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to to my sister I'm sorry um, uh, but but uh, and they put some parentheses, fear. I imagine that means you have fear of uh, saying that to her. And to his mother, go to therapy, get medication. You're not well. Um, I've told her, but she won't listen. And stop trying to change your mother. Your mother is a sick person, and she is in charge of her own destiny. But what you can decide is whether or not you want your destiny to still intersect with hers. When, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my mom had an abortion, because most of the time, life feels like one long fucking chore. Have you shared these things with others? Most of it with my girlfriend. The only things I haven't told her is because I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but she knows the darkest shit. That, well, that's good. That's good that you have somebody that you can, you can open up to. How do you feel after writing these things down? Tired, sad, mostly numb. Um, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. Don't feel guilty for your thoughts. People think you're great at... You're great. You probably are. You're not lying, and your whole experience isn't a facade. That's just your brain tricking you. If you can convince yourself or or that uh, of that, let me know your trick. Um, oh, this is good. Uh, my girlfriend and I love the show. She recently filled out a survey and is going back to therapy, and I want to start, and I'm looking into it seriously. Good, good. We'll follow through on that, buddy, because you deserve it. You deserve it. That was some fucked up shit that was going on um, in your house. This is a pretty. This seems to be uh, the uh, incest of palooza. I know occasionally we have those uh, those shows, um, and this one's pretty heavy. If you're if if you're tired, this is this is our uh, last heavy survey, um, but this one has a lot of uh, incest stuff in it. And so if you're tired of it, you might want to fast forward. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Anon non-M Mrs. She is pansexual in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I reported it. Um, she writes... Uh, Before I was sexually abused by my foster brother and sister, I had a couple of brief encounters with my biological brother and my cousin that seemed pretty innocent. I remember with my brother, we were both dancing around a bedroom, he had his legs through the armholes of his shirt with his penis hanging out, and I think I was partially clothed. Like I said, this part seemed innocent, but that encounter was cut short as my biological father stormed in through the door and started beating my brother brutally in front of me. I can't remember if he beat me, but it's possible. I block that part out. With my cousin, we would, quote, neck in the closet. Essentially, we would just kiss each other's necks, but I don't really remember any sexual fondling or any movements below the waist. Both my brother and I were moved into protective custody at a very young age, then moved to a foster care around four, five and four, respectively i remember several separate accounts of abuse Uh, i remember the first encounter was my foster brother licking my vagina that particular experience haunts me to this day and the thought of cunnilingus with men terrifies me. There have been times where I either have to be drunk or high or both in order to be relaxed enough to enjoy and or orgasm from the experience. The second encounter that I remember happened in the family room around the TV. As I lay in the middle of the room with a blanket over my body and with my family around, my foster brother lifted the blanket, and as soon as he was behind me, he had forced his penis into my hands just as quickly. My foster mother cooed something as I became absolutely petrified. Oh, how sweet. I can't remember how long it lasted, but certainly as long as the show we were watching, uh, at least. Uh, The third thing I remember was a group situation, kind of a seven minutes in heaven sort of thing, but you know, with an incest flavor. This involved my foster sister, my foster brother, my biological brother, and the other foster children that lived there at the time and also foster cousins. I was forced to finger my foster sister in a dark closet for what felt like an eternity. This, I think, happened fairly frequently at family gatherings. On one occasion, I told my foster sister that I didn't want to, quote, do it. We stood in the dark until the time was up, and once we left the closet, the other children shamed me when they didn't believe we had done anything. The fourth thing I remember is that my foster brother had tried to negotiate what I believed was penetrative sex with me. In exchange for sex, he would give me baseball cards. Mind you, at this time, I was five years old and he was 11. I remember saying that I didn't want to. The nights following that encounter were hell as both my foster sister and brother terrorized both my biological brother and I in the middle of the night. They would attempt to scare us in different ways. My brother and I haven't really spoken about it, but that was probably the most terrifying time of my entire life. When I was about 11 or 12, the fifth grade class at my school was herded into the gym to watch a movie. It happened to be about sexual abuse, and I just started bawling. Me and a few other girls were then sent to the principal's office, and I was asked to recount what had happened, so I lied. At the age of seven, my biological mom had regained custody of both my brother and I. We lived with her for about three years. She had remarried this terrible guy, and I said it was him that did it. I guess I figured he was several states away and probably dead or homeless and unable to be found, so why not? After three years of having us, she couldn't adequately take care of us, so we unfortunately landed back in the same foster home. I felt like I had to lie. My foster brothers and sisters were much older now and were model students, athletes, and well-liked in school. To say they were abusers, sexual abusers at that, would be damning to me, even though it was never stated, it would always be their word against mine, and who would believe a girl with a Pollyanna complex anyway? I feel and have always felt immense amounts of shame over this entire thing, and eventually I told my husband and a therapist and a few other close friends slash partners about my experience. I can't tell you how many times I've left Thanksgiving or other family gatherings with panic attacks or severe anxiety. Afterward, I'm so exhausted that I pretty much head right back to bed. I continue to have anger and sadness over it, and any time I'm around family, family, I always have sinking feelings of dread and hypervigilance. I sometimes tell family that I'm not coming to something and they seem hurt when I do. The holidays aren't a super happy time for me, which is probably why I feel like an emotional hurricane, right got to learn to staple in better places right now, and it's stirring up a lot of darkness at the moment. You ever been physically or emotionally abused? She's been both. Uh, I believe I was physically abused by both my biological parents, if not neglected. Uh, My biological mother brags about it sometimes. I was emotionally abused by my foster mother. She was an alcoholic, but I didn't really know until i was much older she would compare me often to my foster sisters her biological daughters who were much skinnier more athletic and more popular than i was (coughs) excuse me I have struggled with my self-image since I was a teen due to those comparisons. She would make snide comments about things I wore, did, said, or wrote. I remember she would read my diary, my poetry, and she would leave notes for me on what my writing meant. I had no sense of privacy or sense of self. In fact, I have anxiety about writing to this day, even though it gives me an outlet to let go of some of the things I'm feeling. Fortunately, poor choice of words, I wasn't the only one on the receiving end of her abuses. She would frequently tell my foster brothers they were dumb or lazy. My biological brother wet the bed well into his teens. He was constantly infantilized in front of us and called lazy for his bedwetting. We were all shamed in some way. If it wasn't our laziness, intelligence, or other qualities lacking, it was our unwantedness. None of our families wanted us. They left us and didn't want to care for us, and if they did, it was only when it was convenient for them. Talk about building connection. To say the least, I have very few strong bonds with any biological or foster family members. Any positive experiences with your abusers? My foster mother was supportive of my involvement in art, theater, and music in high school. She would also say she thought I was pretty without makeup. However, when she would make horrible comments about my weight or clothing choices, it seemed to negate anything good about what she said. Darkest Thoughts I have had fleeting thoughts of suicide, more recently due to some hormonal imbalances which had been diagnosed and currently managed. I used to think about slitting my wrists a lot and had a fascination with murders, as in I wanted to be murdered. I still have a fascination with serial killers and have watched many documentaries about heinous crimes against humanity and mass murders and murderers. As a teen, I wanted to run away. I thought about prostitution and didn't care much about what happened to my body, but my anxiety and fear kept me in my shell and in my room most of the time, which was probably for the better in a way. Darkest Secrets. Before my biological mother had custody- custody of us, I had molested one of my younger foster brothers. I don't really remember what I did. I just knew he seemed scared of me after that. I knew I didn't like that feeling, and I don't think I ever did it again with him. When we began living with my biological mother, I began acting out. Hold on one second. Um, uh, when I, when we began living with my biological mother, I began acting out. I once pinned down my biological brother and had him penetrate me. I was seven and he was eight. I feel absolutely horrible for it. Another thing I feel horrible about was using our dog in this manner. Um, I stopped doing that after those one time occurrences because I felt so horrible about myself. I didn't know what to do with myself, so I just kind of shut down my sexuality at that point. I don't know how or why. I just had a switch in my mind that just said this is wrong and felt I knew it deeply. Once there was an investigation into my foster mother's abuse. My youngest foster brother had told someone that he was being emotionally abused and social workers came out and talked to us about it all of us lied and said it wasn't happening once again i have lots of guilt and shame about this i felt i had to lie in order for us to continue on living there because we didn't know what was on the other side i think i was 17 at the time and nearly on my way out sexual fantasy is most powerful to you um i have heavy uh degradation fantasies Spitting or otherwise marking territory, but not scat, because that's just too much mess. I still feel pretty disgusting about it, but humiliation and degradation are huge turn-ons for me. I have a fantasy where I lead someone to an old, disused public bathroom, a place where the cleaning schedule hasn't been adhered to, and make them clean the toilet seat with their tongue. I have on occasion role-played incest and rape where I'm both the abuser and the abusee. I have also actively engaged in practicing BDSM regularly with other consenting adults. That makes me feel less disgusting and more normal somehow. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I don't know where I'd begin. I'm not the best with spoken words, but I think I'd like to tell them that I feel screwed up because of their perpetrations. I want to know who did it to them, who made them feel so worthless. I struggle with intimacy and love and knowing what it feels like. Uh, to be loved and appreciated as a human being. Even though I feel mo- more, quote, normal now, I still feel like a part of me was stolen through years of physical and emotional torture. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for peace for everyone involved. I don't want this pain anymore, and I'd like it to not have so much power, me- power over me sometimes. Have you shared these things with others? I have shared these things with some close friends and with my husband and a therapist. It prompted some of my friends to also share their experiences with sexual abuse. My husband has, over the course of 16 years of being together, told me to go to therapy. I think he just felt ill-equipped to take on that much pain. I finally did when I was 28. I went for about 10 to 15 sessions and just couldn't do it. I was doing EMDR, which is a type of therapy for people with PTSD, and I found it just left me exhausted and not feeling any better about the abuse when I left. I just felt even more horrible about myself and began to be more critical, more hypervigilant and more defensive afterwards. You know, I have heard that that for some people, EMDR <clears throat> can kind of backfire on them, especially if, the, if they are rushed into immediately talking about the most traumatic uh, situations. But, you know, my thought is reading this is I would not give up on therapy. I would not give up on therapy. And I would definitely look into some type of incest survivor, um, support group. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like I've just dropped down a 10 ton book of my life in front of a bajillion people. And that feels really vulnerable. And I have to say, and it's really beautiful because you, you experienced some of the worst abuse I've, I've ever, I've ever come across. And that, you know, you're, you're, you're shaming yourself for the things that you did to other kids too when you were a kid, but that is those ripples are coming from what those uh, adults were doing to to those kids, and I hope you can forgive yourself um, and find intimacy um, because you deserve it. You deserve it, and thank God you have people that you can that you can talk to. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? The only thing that helps is talking about it. Not only can you get the validation you need to move on from it, but you can also begin speaking about this with less emotion. Crying has always been a problem for me. And I noticed that the more I tell my story, the less likely I'm going to cry and feel shame and feel bad about myself for telling. And the more I begin to feel brave and like a survivor rather than a victim. Um, thank you very much for, for sharing that. And, you know, I... Uh She had emailed me um previously, so this wasn't the first time I read um about her her story but in in her email to me and what she didn't share in the survey is that is that <clears throat> she has been struggling with feelings of guilt about going to family reunions because she feels like she's a bad person or, or their feelings are hurt if she doesn't go to which I said, don't go." fuck them fuck their feelings they're on their own trajectory it's time for you to start taking care of yourself and if you don't want to go don't do it that's that's one of the ways that healing can begin is to advocate for yourself um and it's self-advocation is that is that a word uh is a muscle And it starts out pretty flabby, but once we start taking care of ourselves, that muscle gets strong and it becomes easier to do and that guilt gets to us less. But sending you a big hug and some love. This is from the uh, being hospitalized survey. And this is just, it's an awful some moment. So I just, uh, and it's just a tiny little snapshot. Um, His name is Paul and he was um, uh, on his way home uh, or was he going to the hospital? I can't remember. Um, oh, I think he was being moved from one hospital to the next. And yeah, and he writes, uh, having a lovely ambulance drive while being strapped to a gurney and seeing folks in their cars through the back door windows. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is such a picture. That is such a picture. Uh Here is a happy moment. It's a little bittersweet, but um, this is filled out by our friend, a woman in a potato's body. And she writes, I can't decide if this is a happy moment or if it's awful some, but what the hey. I was one of those kids whose parents put way too much responsibility on them. I was my mom's main emotional support and the calmer down of an abusive father and during my late high school college years, the caretaker for my grandma after she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I spent most of my summers with her and it was pretty terrible. We got along well and as her first granddaughter it was no secret that I was her favorite grandchild. She was my favorite grandparent as well, but we were both seriously depressed. Every night, she would give me a hug and a kiss goodnight and take her Cadillac, her walker, back to her bedroom, and around one in the morning, I would go to my room right across from her room and leave both bedroom doors open because I was afraid I would wake up one morning and not hear her breathing. During my last year of college, Grandma had a stroke and did a few months' worth of physical therapy before she realized, hey, I've wanted to be dead for years. Why am I trying to live? so she stopped doing her physical therapy and eventually she was moved into a hospice house she was in there two days and knocked down on morphine the entire time my parents couldn't wake her up and my aunts and uncles couldn't wake her up and when they left the room crying I said something to her to the effect of hey grandma I'm here and when I looked down there was her hand sticking up in the air reaching around for my hand I took her hand and it was like something out of a movie She knew I took care of her, and she wanted to take care of me. She died later that night, and it didn't occur to me for a long time that that was fucking magical. It was one chronically depressed person to another, saying, It's going to be okay. See, it all turned out okay in the end. I'm crying writing this, because nobody in my family offers any praise, or really any thanks for all the things I've done for them since I was small, but that hand squeeze meant more than anything. I love you, Grandma B, wherever you are. I know some of you guys got tears running down your face after that one, and I would too, if I wasn't dead inside. And finally, we have a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Rice Tea. And she writes, when I was recovering from alcohol and drug abuse, I saw a recreational physical therapist because I had pains all over my body. She explained post-acute withdrawal syndrome syndrome to me, and I felt a bit better. She also asked me some questions that no one had really asked. She said, what do you want to do? I thought about it and said, well, I'm trying to figure out how to get back to where I was before this all started. She looked at me and said, where were you before this started, and what got you into this? What do you want to do? I had never thought about it that way. I said, I want to travel. I never traveled. I went to college and then threw myself into work. I never traveled and I always wish I had. So I started to travel. I took a bus to Niagara Falls and stayed at a nice hotel. It was easy because it was an hour from my home. I flew to New York City because I knew the city a little and I felt reasonably comfortable there. I went to Paris because I went to French Immersion since I was five and I understood the language. I didn't know uh. I didn't know the city, but I could understand what people were saying. In November of 2014, I went to Peru. I traveled through the country for three weeks. I should say that my greatest moment was finishing the four-day trek of the Inca Trail and seeing Machu Picchu. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, But the most memorable moment for me was in a tiny town in the Andes. I was in a tiny hotel room alone at night, and I got online. I went on Facebook and then immediately closed it. I went on the Maps app and just zoomed out. I screenshotted it and still look at it to this day. I was so far from home. I was by myself and I was okay. I felt like I could achieve anything. Yeah, I have a crappy job. Yeah, I'm not married. I have no kids. I don't have a lot of things I'm supposed to have. But I'm a person who is too scared to leave the house most days. And I'm in the backwoods of Peru and I'm going to do something I've dreamed about since I was a kid. I can't ever remember feeling so proud of myself. I just love when you guys give me the one to, to end the show, and it's just like when I'm going through the surveys, it's just like, it's, it, like it just has a halo on it, like, like the universe is just going to make sure that every week I've got one that that is just uh, a no brainer to be the one to to end the show. I I love that. I love that. And I hope you guys are hanging in there. Uh, I guess this will be. You'll be hearing this if you're listening the day it's released. It'll be Christmas Day. So I hope uh, I hope you get some good presents. I hope your relatives don't uh, bother you too much. I don't hope you don't feel guilt that oh, I didn't get enough presents. I always do that. Whenever my wife is opening her presents, I'm always like, "Oh fuck, I didn't get enough," and she's always happy because she's a good liar. Um. Anyway, I hope you heard something that helped you. I hope you felt some comfort. Maybe something illuminated something, turned a light bulb on, um, or this just put you to sleep. And you got some deep, deep sleep. And uh, if you are asleep, to those of you that are asleep right now, let that bladder go. Just let it go. Let it go. Let those bowels go. Yeah. Deep. Just breathe deep. Let it go. Just feel the urine coming out. Sweet, sweet urine. Merry Christmas. You are not
1: alone. And thanks for listening.